Greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't do, innocent, and he went to prison. Um, innocent people go to prison. <sighs> That's why we're here every Friday at 6 p.m. to talk about that, wrongful convictions and social injustices, because an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So thank you for joining us today. Um, we have an awesome, awesome conversation that we're going to have today. Um, but before we get started, I want to uh, read our mission statement. Our mission is to bring awareness to the wrongful conviction of Gerard and all others who are wrongly convicted, over-sentenced, mentally ill, and medically frail in our communities to inspire, organize, and educate all communities about the need to disrupt systems, policies, and patterns of the criminal legal system that leads to wrongful convictions. That's why we're here. Um, thank you again for joining us. And I want to say hello to everybody who's watching on YouTube and those who may be watching on Twitter and, uh, and of course, everyone on Facebook. Please like it and share this um, program so it can um, get out to other people. Because what we're doing here every Friday is having a conversation. This is a safe space for us to come and talk about what's going on in our communities and discuss um, things that uh, bother us or uh, harm us. But also, this is a safe space to come up with solutions for change. So thank you for joining us. I'm going to bring in one of our panel members that's here. Hi, Revitia. Well, hello. Good evening, everyone. Hi, Jay. I'm Hi, so happy Revitia. to be here this evening. You know, um, I'm telling you, we have so much to be grateful for. And Jay, I'm so grateful for you and for your stick to itness and how you went through and continue to go through and lift up the banner of righteousness and justice and, and peace because you've done it in such a peaceful way. Um, I am here coming from the choice zone where you have a choice in this. Your choice is demonstrated through your vibe and how you feel and how you treat others and how what you say, what you're thinking about. Yeah, we make choices all the time, and I'm glad that I chose today to be here, and I help people to make better choices to enhance their lives. Um, also, wherever I am, I bring with me Michigan Coalition of Human Rights, uh, G100, one is in wisdom, women all over the world who are working together to empower one another, a, a group think tank that is global. And of course, Transforming Love Community, where I am one of the ministers and so happy to, to do this. Um, wherever I am, wherever I go, I am empowering, encouraging, and lifting others to access their queendom or access their kingdom, access who you really are. And we can still do that. There is nothing, Jay, holding us back. And I think once we realize that nothing can stop the move within you. However God is moving you, nothing can stop it. And you know it's God because if it's if it's not rooted in chaos, 
because we know God is not the author of confusion. That's just a little note. <laughs> so, so if you're feeling like you need to be in confusion or in chaos, you might want to think again. Jay, yes, we we may yes. we may be a little loud when we vocalize what we're doing, but we are one, and that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah. Reverend Tia, while we're waiting on time, we're waiting on time. Um, to pop in, I don't know why we're getting some feedback, but um, let's talk about the love gathering that's coming up. <laughs> I'm so excited, Jay. You know, I'm so listen when when you said this is a time for us to heal, that just resonated within my soul because I'm knowing that this is our healing time. That's how that's how we win. Mm -hmm. we, heal. we heal and allow ourselves to be healed. And, and you said we're not going to be up talking about what we're doing or or our agendas. And I was so glad because that's the way you keep going is to stop. You know, right? Um, at one point, we my mother used to always say you have to retreat to advance. You always have to retreat to advance. You got to be still to advance. There's power in silence. And um, I can't wait. I'm going to take part in all of the remedies. <laughs> the the um, I hear you got singing bowls coming. Yes. So uh, we have an awesome practitioner who does the singing bowls and the gong. I was, and she's donating her time to join us for this love gathering. I was just like, oh my goodness. We have um, people who are going to be doing Reiki. Um, so energy healing. We're going to have people. We're going to have meditation. We're going to have all these different modalities that people can join in. And also we're going to have fun. And yes. I can't wait till Attorney Matt come on because I was on uh, Dion Riggins uh, live this morning and they gave him a challenge. So I, I was like, where is Attorney Matt? <laughs> so he can know the challenge. Uh -oh. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I don't want to tell you, Reverend T, until he get out here because I want to see his expression. Yes. Oh, I see oh okay. I want to hear about the challenge because, you know, when he comes on, I'm, I'm, I was working, so I'm at work. And uh, I don't always get to see it until later. Okay, so I'm I'm excited about that. So there's gonna there's gonna be some added extra to the love gathering, but it's gonna be not only healing but fun. Um, we're gonna have art pieces. We're gonna have that. Some gonna be there is a special piece by Susan um, that we talk about her Susan Brown every mm -hmm. week, but she may um, she's an international artist that's in prison and Michigan Department of Correction. And I can say that she's wrongfully convicted, but yeah. she made a special piece for this gathering that's gonna be auctioned off. We're gonna have others that's gonna be um, raffle off. So it's gonna be something mm -hmm. for everybody. So yeah. I just wanna say, and we're gonna talk about it again at the end of the um, show, but bring your kids. We're gonna have face painters. We're gonna have all kinds of stuff. And They're the gonna have fun. Pad. The splash pad, yes. 
bring your favorite blanket or chair. This is just a whole day of being in a community and having unity and a day of healing. I mean, especially yeah. all that we have been going through and um, um, growing through. Um, so yeah. we're going to take yeah. the day. And Susan, her work is so, it's so beautiful. I, I love the fact that where she is, like many, many of, of the people that are wrongfully convicted and are serving time, and many people, not just the wrongfully convicted, many people who are incarcerated, mm -hmm. somehow, some way, have the fortitude to find a place within themselves, right where they are, right. and they grow. Wherever right. they're planted at, wherever they are, wherever they find themselves at, they begin to grow and to flourish right there. And there's so many lessons to learn uh, from these mighty people who we don't always get to hear from. I'm I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Uh, yeah, I am too. So yes, we're inviting everyone who listens to us on Fridays to come to Handy Park. It's in Redford, uh, Michigan, and join us for the Love Gathering. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to donate to the Love Gathering. Um, You'll you'll have an opportunity to do that. Um, Jay will make sure you you find you have the link for that. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. Uh, very, I'll probably put the important. link in the chat later on. Okay. Um, but there's a link, and also we want you to RSVP because we need a count. You know, we want to make sure yeah. everybody eats. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, let so, us know if you're coming. Yeah. So thank you guys. Let's. So here is the. Person we've been waiting on. Hi, attorney Matt. <laughs> much love, much love. You know, Jay Love and my sister Reverend Tia. Sometimes a superhero role is is not an easy one. It's not an easy one, you know. Um, I'm under government secrecy, but I had to go on and clear up some things with Putin and them over there. Can't really get into it right now, but uh, you'd have been proud of me. Uh, he thought he was good with that old karate thing, but you know. He might know karate, but I'm like James Brown. I know Kareza. So it's a good thing there. So, but you'll undoubtedly be hearing about the news, but just keep it secret between you and me. You just said mysterious black man went on handle business. You and I will all know who it is. So, first of all, I love you and I tell you that. And I'm swearing y'all the secrecy, you're women of integrity and character. This is <laughs> Dr. Hugo J. Mack Esquire coming to you. And as I've always said, J. Love, as I've always said, Reverend Tia. Unlike the 40,000 other members of my profession in this state, in all 83 counties, I am not parachuting down from heaven to be with you today. I've come up from hell to be with you today through the precious blood of God and Jesus Christ, my personal Lord, Master, and Savior, who I unashamedly profess. And he's the reason that I'm here today. You know, scripture tells us there's nothing new under the sun. There was a man named Joseph. Man got done wrong. You know the story, Reverend Tia. You know P.K., uh, who you are, Jay Love. You know who you are. You know who you are. I'm not telling y'all nothing you don't know. So, but I'm saying it for the benefit of those who may not know. You know, man done horrendously wrong by his own people done wrong. Man accused of sexual assault. The man didn't do it. The man didn't do it, but the man was convicted anyway. So if there's nothing new under the sun, then there's nothing for us to say what happened to other people in the years gone by cannot and does not happen to us. God has brought me back for specific reasons, the impossible being done and me regaining my law license. But he brought me back. He spared my life through my sojourn through the penitentiary and has made me 
faster, bigger, stronger, smarter than ever before. So the rest of my life, my life is going to be spent fighting for the wrongfully convicted and the overly convicted because they're a part of this too. They're a part of this too. The overly convicted are just as much victims. Yes, they are. They're just as much victims because a victim is a person that pays a debt they do not owe. If you apply that template to any situation in life, and if you have paid a debt or your loved one has paid a debt that they do not owe, they are a victim. They are very much a victim, whether the system wants to realize it or not. So in forums like this, this is my mainstay where I come and I'm honored to be with my sisters in the struggle. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be an example, hopefully, to people, uh, not only out of the penitentiary, but people who have family members that are in the penitentiary, to give them hope and a future. And to remember that God has a great plan for all of us, Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's a plan for good and not for evil. So I'm here and I'm proud to be here. And you know, J. Love and, and Reverend Tia, it heartens me to see us all here together, okay? So everybody, we're here together. Here we go. <laughs> now, I know some of y'all have been looking forward to this all week, and I never <laughs> disappoint my people. I never disappoint my people. So, you know, I just... I just <laughs> Tardy Matt, wait, let me interrupt you for a minute. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I was watching today Dion Riggins Live, and they were talking about you on there. And they said, maybe we can have a, a boogaloo contest at the love <laughs> gathering. <laughs> well, see, you know what? You know, J-Love, it, it's nice to be remembered and it's nice to be mentioned. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it, 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 it is a beautiful, beautiful thing, you know? And, you know, th this is one thing that Sam Riddle can't take credit for. You see what I'm saying? You know, you know what the hell? Because when I say it's over, it's over. But ladies and gentlemen, as you all been waiting for, you know what's fitting to happen. You know what's fitting to happen. Here we go. If you find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, push, pull, drag, tow that hoopity to Mac Street. Mac Street. Park in my virtual underground garage. And when there, call the Freedom Line. 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line. 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line. 734-239-3118. HMACLaw.com is your hookup. HMACLaw.com is your hookup. HMACLaw.com is your hookup. Now, for all the people out there, if you don't want to win, don't come in. Stay outside. <laughs> waiting for redemption and constipated on government cheese. If that's what you want, that's what you get. You tried to rest, now come with the best. Now, you know, J-Love, in a time like this, when all this important information is being gathered, I think it's only fair, J-Love, I think it's only fair that you and I give the listening audience an opportunity to write this important information down. So with the help of my good friend, Roland Martin, y'all, please excuse me, I'll I do the boogaloo. <laughs> Reverse order this time from Pulp Fiction for you, Reverend Tia, Batman. <laughs> and for Jay Love and all the others.
Now, Jay Love, I think it's very important that we have given people an opportunity to have that little interlude to write this information down. Because, you know, Jay Love, I want to let the message be known. For all you haters, Mr. and Mrs. America, ships at sea, all y'all in suburban areas and the ghettos and, and all the metropolitan areas of the way, who be writing Jay Love, calling Jay Love, putting letters in Jay Love mailbox, you know, trying to put letters on, notes all on her car, say, oh, kick Hugo off that show. That man crazy, Jay Love. He's subject to say anything. He's so unorthodox. He crazy. Just, you know, you know, he bad for the movement. I got a message for y'all in the words of my late cousin Bernie. I ain't scared of none of y'all. So you see, so it don't mean nothing to me, Jay Love. It don't mean nothing to me. You understand? So, so I got the Lord on my side. I ain't scared of nobody. So for all you haters, keep on writing, Jay Love. Keep on doing what you want to do. I pray for us, strengthen the Lord every day. Reverend Tia too. I know she catching it too. You know, Trisha and them, wherever they are, I know they catching it too. But stay strong. Stay strong. God got a great plan for us, and it's going to be good as long as we hold on to it. Now you know, Jay Love. I know that. Some of the people may ask, is this man for real, Jay Love? I mean, is this man for real? Does he really endorse what he's saying? Does he really believe that? I want everybody to listen. You're damn right, I believe it. That's exactly <laughs> why I said it. <laughs> That's exactly why I said it. Yes. And so you, you you heard it from me first. And you know, Jay Love, when they mm -hmm. ask who really brought this announcement to you, it's Dr. Hugo J. Mack Esquire, the one true king of Russia, Scotland, in Harlem. And one final message for Jay Love, for Reverend Tia, and all the other wonderful, beautiful soul people out there. I love you. <laughs> I see Sam here. He on the, he in the live today. Hey, Sam. <laughs> if I would have known you was going to be here, I would have sent you the link. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, yes. Thank you, Attorney Mac. Thank you. <laughs> so, we always get this laugh ahead of time so we can have this balance because these conversations be really heavy, you know, but we have to have them. It's very important that we have them. And so, we have the awesome Mr. Dwayne Brooks. He's here today. Hello, Dwayne. How's everybody? <laughs> we just got to clap <laughs> in, Dwayne. You are so awesome. Thank so, you. Dwayne, just introduce yourself and tell, um, before we get started, and let people know who you are and um, um, and what you've been through. Um, Dwayne Brooks um, from Long Island, New York. I um was wrongly convicted in Ohio for a crime that I didn't commit. And I ended up doing 35 years from 1988 to 2023. Wow. And <clears throat> they had the evidence from the very beginning. The crime occurred in 1987 and they had the evidence from the very beginning that I didn't do it. And the evidence pointed to their state star witness, the prosecution star witness. And um, they just changed the whole narrative on me. And um, had me in prison for all of that time. They were trying to kill me. Uh, literally, uh, it, they uh, sought the death penalty on me. And um, when they didn't get that, it was just, you know, red flag that I never get out. I went to the parole board four different times after I served my sentence at, you know, the wrongful sentence that they gave me. And 
they kept giving me time, never having any any intention on uh, releasing me. Um, the excuse that they used was nature of the crime and that I didn't show any remorse. Uh, so how can I show remorse for something that I didn't right. do? Right. You know, um, remorse for the, you know, the people that were hurt in, in, in the incident, but I had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. So I received um, 10 years the first time, 10 added years onto my sentence. I received four years the second time I seen them. Um, the third time I seen them, I, I received five years. And the last time I seen them in 2020, they gave me five more years. So as I said, they had no intention on releasing me. And only you through the grace and mercy of, of Allah, the almighty, that, you know, I made it out of there alive and well, you know, alhamdulillah, thank God, because as I stated before, you know, prison is not something that you're meant to survive either physically mentally or both absolutely, absolutely right so Dwayne um this uh last week we were talking about you know you and how innocent we just trying to drive this home to people how the innocent people end up in prison um can you and it, just let me know if it's you know if it bothers you because some people can't tell the story their stories but for you, how did this all happen? Were you at the wrong place at the wrong time? You know, we have so many, um, first of all, there are so many different ways wrongful convictions happen. Mistaken identity, police corruption, prosecutor, uh, you know, um, not have a proper representation. How did your story begin? My story began, um... I wasn't there, I didn't have anything to do with the crime. So people need to know that, you know, you don't have to um, have any involvement, any um, connection. I had no connection. I, you know, I didn't know none of those people down there. Um, had no beef, you know, I, I worked a job from the time I was 15. I wasn't um, in the streets, as they say, you know, um, the only thing I did do, you know, coming up, you know, as, as a child coming up into a man, you know, I fought you know, people that was willing to fight me, not not a bully, because I was never a bully. Matter of fact, I always fought bullies. Um, so, you know, people need to know that you don't have to do anything to end up in prison. I mean, I did absolutely nothing wrong. And everybody at the trial that they put on the stand, it was, you know, 70 something witnesses that they put on the stand. Nobody implicated me. Nobody said I did anything wrong. Nobody said that I committed a crime. Nobody said that they saw me except the state star witness who now we know since the evidence came out a year and a half ago or two years ago now um, that he, he he's the culprit. He did it. And he was just trying to, you know, make a deal and come out from under his weight. And this is the, uh, the nature of the system or the, the injustice system. You know, they don't care, especially, a, you know, a person of color. They don't care if you didn't do it. If they can, if they can build a case, make a narrative, they don't need no evidence. Because, like I told you last week, you know, I learned that in any wrongful conviction, they never had evidence. If you didn't do it, there's no way they could have evidence against you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people people don't understand that. You know, 
they look at these 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 wrongful convictions and people being exonerated all over the country, and they don't understand that in all of those cases they didn't have any evidence against those people. Right. They couldn't. So this is this is a big problem. Exactly. Attorney Matt, um, when we're talking about this, you know, um, was it last year where the Supreme Court ruled that innocent, your innocence didn't mean, any, it doesn't mean anything? True. That's true. Y yes. And to, to expound on that, <clears throat> the Supreme Court has made it very clear that it is perfectly legal to execute an actually innocent man or woman as long as they've had a fair trial, you see? And, and, and a fair trial is largely defined as, does the jury believe beyond a reasonable doubt that each and every element of the offense has been shown? That is considered a fair trial, you know? And that's a very abstract concept because you don't know what goes on in a jury room. You don't know the demons and the prejudices that people come in to a jury room with or a jury veneer, especially, especially when you've got a group of people in the United States, blacks, who have an aversion to going to jury duty, okay? An aversion. Easily scared like sheep, okay? No, don't be showing up. They got police down there. You know, if you got any kind of a trouble with the police, they're going to arrest you right on the spot. I mean, they've done us like that for so long, so, so long. That's what they've used to intimidate black people from going to vote. You know, you know, in, in these last elections, you see these uh, basically white supremacist groups and police that are around in a black precinct. Now, them people don't live there. Them people don't live in that neighborhood. But you see, they're there on on Election Day, you know, being around because they 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 play on that psychological mojo, that hex that has been put on us for 400 some odd years where we get easily frightened. I mean, that's why the Klan used white sheets, you know, the, the, the insult to the black intellect at night, you know, spooks and hates, you know, we, we're going to run for the hills. That's where all that came from, that, that, that stereotype of the weak-minded black man or woman. That's how all that got started. So the reality of it is, is that you could have a jury, and by the way, uh, for all people who are naive and don't know, with no disrespect, it is very easy to get on a jury. You hear me? Very, very easy. They've got some boilerplate questions they'll ask, you know, well, can you be fair about this and what have you? Look, I've had judges cut me off in voidir, which is a questioning of, of jurors, okay? I've had judges cut me off. So, Mr. Mack, um, we need to get on with this trial. We have some questions that, you know, are fundamental that we ask, and so we ask you to go on. And I've objected every time. You know, my client has got a right to not only assistance of counsel, but effective assistance of counsel. Mm -hmm. And that's part of my effectiveness. So, you know, I've, I've been shut down every time. I mean, they, they've overruled me and made me go on, but at least I've made a record of it. So the, the problem is when you've got those 12 people sitting there, you know, on that jury, you don't know what they're thinking. OK, you know, and as long as I've been in this game, I don't know what they're thinking. I know that I'm very careful in trying to pick as fair as jury as I can. But like I said, I don't know those people. You know, as far as I know, the night before, they might have been in a Klan rally. They'll never tell me. Mm -hmm. They'll never tell me. 
Okay. And, and, and with the culture, particularly with my own time in the penitentiary, a lot of the white guards, they had no exposure to black people. A lot of these people are from up north, you know, and Michigan has got a lot of penitentiaries up north, I might add. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So, so those are the people in that jury pool and with black people running away from jury duty with every kind of lame excuse in the book, when their lives were really on the line, when my life was on the line, my jury was all white and rural. Couldn't find a black person, okay? Couldn't find one. And there were black people in that county just don't want to get involved in jury duty until it happens to them. So, so yeah. And by the way, along this one line, let me say this. The Supreme Court has also said, you know, it's okay for police to lie to you. Did you know that? Did you know that? Mm -hmm. The, mm -hmm. the only the only distinction is, well, they're not supposed to lie as to a material fact. OK, but, you know, when they get you and your homeboy in them separate rooms, look, man, uh, you know, Bubba done spilled the whole thing, bro. So it's going to be a matter of which one of y'all get to the prosecutor first. My partner here, he don't even want me to talk to you. But, you know, I, I'm trying to give you a break. Good cop, bad cop. I'm not telling y'all nothing you don't know. I'm telling y'all nothing. I'm just saying I see it every day in court. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know that, that's it. So you can easily be convicted of something you didn't do. And by the way, once that verdict comes in and it goes to the appellate level, you got hell to pay the captain. Hell to pay the captain. The odds are 95% that whatever you got to say, it ain't going to fly. And, yeah. and, and, and you can be innocent as the day is long. It makes no difference. Um, another thing about the juries. Um, that attorney Mac is talking about to to add to that, you know, the juries get a lot of tricks played on them. Mm -hmm. You know, the prosecutor plays a lot of tricks on the jury. Mm -hmm. He, the prosecutor in my case, he he talked, 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 and you know, made it seem to the jury that that I was a bad person mm -hmm. with no evidence to back it up, nobody to get on the stand to to you know verify it or testify to it, mm -hmm. but he was testifying to my jury. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time that, that that was illegal, you know, and this is the thing that people don't understand and juries don't understand. They do a lot of things that's illegal to gain convictions on people. Right. Right. And, they, and, and the juries are, are completely unaware of this. Mm -hmm. You know, he was actually testifying to my jury about me when he had no evidence or nobody to get on the stand to verify it or testify to it. And the judge allowed it. And they all know that that's against the law. They all they all have a law degree. Everybody in the courtroom had law degrees except me. The prosecutor, the two attorneys that they assigned to me, uh, uh, the assistant prosecutor, and the judge. They all had law degrees. So they all knew that what was going on was illegal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and the juries, the juries, the juries had a disadvantage because they don't understand, you know, the judge, the, my jury came back three times. And asked the judge to read the definition of a uh, reasonable doubt beyond a reasonable doubt. And this man, this judge, he read, he read the definition of a reasonable doubt. And I'm going to do it exactly how he did it like this. All the evidence obtained, one of the prosecutors are witness, others are noted, yet they decided to break the law to obtain the vision. The jury came back again, said, could you read the definition of reasonable doubt? We didn't understand it. He did the same thing again. And then the third time they came back and asked him to read the, the definition of uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, 
He said, I'm not reading again. Come back with a verdict. These are the type but of he, things. You know, that, that is, that is, and, and that is because people believe the judge is always right. Mm -hmm. Even though the prosecutor only is only for the win. They want to win. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what, Dwayne? I want you to, what was the makeup of your jewelry, your jury? My jury was um, nine white, two black. A black, old, old black uh, lady and um, black guy maybe in his early, I mean, late 30s or early 40s. So you, you it, it was already, you know, and I, I need people to understand that it was already stacked up against you because if you got nine white people, then you already have a, a, a shift in, in the view of who you really are. It's already prejudiced. Right. And then sad to say, some of us are prejudiced against our own people. So we, right. <laughs> some people will look at their own selves, their own reflection of who they are and already decide in their mind that oh. that person is convicted because we are born believing and somehow have uh, just went, went ahead with the narrative that we are already convicted. You ask young African-American boys and they did the study and they'll tell you, you know, I'm already, you know, I'm already wrong. You got young boys who, who are saying, I don't know when I'm going, I may not live to be past 30. They grow up thinking this because, you know, because, because it's already been put against us unless we have enough power within us to rise up and have been in an environment that helps us to rise up above it. But I need people to realize nine to two nine to two and you know what and I, I gotta be very honest when i was in college i was getting called to jury duty quite often i have not been requested because i went i would go to jury duty now i haven't done any studies lately but i like to see how many black people are actually called to jury duty and Ms. why Taylor. are the numbers still the way they are Ms. Taylor, I don't know how you hit that on the head like that, but this one black man that was on the jury looked at me like he hated me. He didn't know me from a can of paint. And he looked at me like he, if looks could kill, he would kill me. And I was sitting there, I never even told anybody this because, you know, people, when you try to tell them what's going on in that courtroom, especially being that they held my family and, and, and my, my uh, friends out of the courtroom, you know, I sounded crazy. You know, this man looked at me every day. He made sure he caught eye contact me when he came in to sit down in, in the jury uh, row. And he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. And I'm looking at him like, I, I don't understand it. And you just hit it right on the head. Oh, my goodness. And I never told anybody that. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. that's just inhumane. You know, I just... I just want to want to interject this. Now, I'm not making a scathing indictment against anybody, anybody because of the color of their skin. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the system, the way the system itself is set up, blacks and whites are victims of it. And and this is something that a lot of white folks simply don't understand. They're victims also. 
You see, so well, what do you mean by that? What I mean is when something has been going on so long, you tend to think it's normal. You know, you, you start accepting it is normal for black people to be mostly or disproportionately in an urban area, in, in a ghetto or deprived, okay? You know, it is normal to see most of the NFL players being black. It is normal to see most of the basketball players, what about 80, 85% of the NBA is black. That's normal. Now, see, a lot of us will say, okay, well, so what's wrong with that? There's something terribly wrong with it because it gives that impression, not just to whites, but to blacks, unless you were in that little, that little league class, that athlete class or that entertainer class, that rapper class, whatever that is, you know, then there's something wrong with you. Okay. That's the kind of mojo that has been run on us. So when when I say I'm not making a scathing indictments of anybody because of the color of their skin, I mean that. Because believe me, I've run into many, many people that would be white that were some of the fairest jurors I've ever had. I've had white men and women that after, even if it was a hung jury, come say, say to me, that man was innocent. They did not prove anything. Uh, the, the jury foreman was a AH, excuse my language, you know, and I wasn't going to let him do it. And I said, thank you, sir. Thank you so much for standing up in justice. So for standing up against injustice. So it's really a mindset. And when this brother talks about somebody looking at him, I know exactly what he's talking about. You see, because part of the problem is when you get into that house Negro field Negro thing, I was listening to, Mal to Malcolm again today. Okay. It, and unfortunately, unfortunately, some of us black folks, we define success by how much we can mimic somebody else. Okay. You know, you know, you know, you know, we've got a group of us that, well, I'm the only one in this job, you know, uh, you know, you know, it's only me, you know, it's, it's me. I'm the only black here and it's 19 other whites. And you feel elevated about that. Or my neighborhood, you know, it's only three of us in this neighborhood or a school. My son and my daughter are one's only ones in this school. You know, uh, you know, you know, no, we ain't lost nothing by how we feel. Yes, you did. You lost your damn mind. That's exactly what you lost. You lost your mind. And so the problem is, is that when we get in that setting, we always seem to get into the situation of believing somebody else's water is wetter. Somebody else's ice is colder than our own. You see, and then when we look in a pool of water, all of a sudden it's got to be muddy. You know, it's muddy. You know, other people look into a clear pool. So in any event, so what I'm saying is it's that mentality. And I see it all the time in jurors. That's why the judges are pissed off at me, because I will stay on a juror's behind like white on rice till they pull me off. And so, you know, I said, you know, you're being too, so we said, Mr. Mack, turn it back. You're being too hard on the jury. No, I want to know if that man or that woman is going to call a fair shot. My client has got one chance, one chance, because if that verdict comes back guilty, it's over. For 99% of the people, it's over. So, yeah, I'm going to put my effort in on the front end. And what this brother said is exactly right. When these lawyers come in, I mean, I don't know if these are public defenders that the man had or what. I'm not sure if they were appointed lawyers or whatever that is. Some people have overworked, underpaid, and they go along to get along. And I'm not criticizing my public defenders. I was one for 12 years. But that is one reason I ran for county prosecutor, because I know what it's like to look across the aisle and see the devil. I know what it's like. And this man here knows what it's like. And, and, and uh, Reverend Taylor, you know what it's like. 
And Jay Love, you dang sure know what it's like. So, you know, so what I'm saying is we got to start having integrity within ourselves. And brother, I feel for you, man. I never saw the man that did you that way, but I've seen his cousins, about a million of them. Yeah, and you know what, Dwayne, I was wondering, you had stated that um, they wouldn't let your family come in to the courtroom. Can you tell us more about that? I, I've never, you know, and, and sometimes it's because I'm not there. Why would they not allow your family to come in? Well, the reason that they used was, now, mind you, when you go to trial, both sides have the witness list. You have the prosecutor, the witness list, and they have yours. The reason they used to keep my family out of the courtroom, they said that they couldn't come in because they were potential witnesses. They had the deputies stationed at the door every day of my trial. And they asked everybody who was coming in, what's your name? Who are you here for? And if they said Dwayne Brooks, you can't come in. You might, you, will, you might be a witness, you're a potential witness. So all my family, I mean, like 20, 30 of them a day sat out in the hallway. And my side of the courtroom was empty. And this is another reason they do it, because the perception to the jury is that I had no support. Mm-hmm. So my and, that's, side of, and that's why that's why I brought that up because it seemed like you didn't have any support in the courtroom. No. Now, and 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 I believe now I know you know you're telling this story. I'm sure there are hundreds more who can testify to that same demeanor of a process a systemic. This is a process that isn't even that's not even true. It's not. It's not. So the whole time you were. You were going to court. You had nobody to support you in the courtroom. That's a fact. I mean, one or two got in, you know, slid in, but never more than two people on my side of the courtroom. So the perception. And you know what? I, I think some of this is because they don't want the backlash when they know what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, I think a lot of times because and I and I listen, I need viewers to understand when sometimes when you see people going off in court and they're trying to go after people and trying to to justify their, you know, um, the innocence of their loved one, people will view that person or those people as they have lost their minds. Why are they acting like that? Well, because they're trying to stop 35 years of wrongful conviction. That's yeah. What yeah. And, and also, you can't, know, you can't know how they feel. Go ahead, Jay. I was going to say, and also, it it messes up their narrative of what the story that they're trying to put together. Right. So if you have people in there supporting you and that love you, you know, you don't look so much like a monster. But when you know they have their own narrative that they put together. Because they're once they pin it on you or said you their person, they're using all their resources to say, Hey, this is our guy. This is him. Because A, B, C, and D in the ENFG, right? And so they don't want anybody to interrupt the picture that they're painting. So, you know, and the the jury, they pay attention to how people are looking and 
you know, what's going on. Uh, Attorney Matt, is that true? Don't they pay attention? Oh, look, 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 look. <laughs> don't they pay attention? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like a fat baby loves cake. Yeah, 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 they paid attention. Yeah, they paid attention. And see, the thing of it is, is this, which is not funny, but the thing of it is, is this, is that that's why, and, you know, with the younger lawyers, uh, uh, try to reach as many young lawyers of color and other lawyers, too, that, that have a good heart, people overlook the importance of that jury selection process. They, they overlook it because I have had cases won and lost in jury selection, okay? You know, I've had cases where I knew the person was very, very defense-oriented. You know, it's not my responsibility to do the prosecutor's job for them, but I knew from my connection to the streets, and and uh, and look now, don't don't y'all turn me into the state bar or nothing now. So, so I knew from my connection <laughs> to the streets, you know, where some people's head was at, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, I knew that if I could keep that person on there, we had a good shot of a fair trial. And a fair trial, it doesn't mean giving somebody a break, y'all. Don't please, please, please don't don't see. And that's another thing. You know, for all people, black and white listening, get this out of your head. Nobody is asking for a break. Okay. Nobody is saying, well, you know he did it, but you know his people have been done wrong for hundreds of years, and you know, see, because that's what that's what Dr. King said about white liberals. Okay, that's what Dr. King said. He said they forgive us for wrongs we have not done, and say, well, they've been through a lot. Okay, okay, but they wrong, but we're gonna let it slide. No, no. All I'm asking, and all I've asked for forty years in the practice of law, is give me a fair chance. Give me what the law says. You don't have a right to deprive me of the law, and I don't have the right to ask for more than what the law says. No, I don't. No, I don't. So if you have a fair playing field and the judge really talks about proof beyond a reasonable doubt, I'm going to tell you right now, every jury I've been in front of, proof beyond a reasonable doubt means you believe something just like you believe your name. Okay? You believe your name. Each and every one of you here believes your name beyond a reasonable doubt. And what I tell juries all the time, if you think each and every element of this crime, like, like this brother right here, if each if, if that member of that jury felt that each and every element of the crime was committed like they know their own names, well, then it was a lawful verdict. It might not have been right, but it was lawful. But I don't think they did that. They I, did. Think they, they I, did. Think, I think they based that decision, what I'm hearing this man say right here, on a whole a bunch of other things that really had nothing to do with him directly. It was like he's in the seat. In other words, somebody got to go to prison, right. and he's the only one in that chair. Right, and even and even then, you know, even though they set it up from the very beginning to pick the kind of jury that they wanted to, my 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 so-called attorneys were in on it. You know, they they didn't fight for me, they didn't defend me, they put up a show, and that was it. And they picked, the, they let every the prosecutor, every witness the prosecutor wanted. I mean, every uh, jury that the prosecutor wanted. My attorneys agreed to it. It was it was set up from the beginning. And what people don't understand is that, you know, they are in cahoots. Yeah. Yes. Gain convictions on us. This is not like, you know, I had a fair trial. The, the trial was unfair from the very beginning. Mm. You know, and I knew, I knew very early on 
you know, in the pretrial phase where these attorneys would come see me. And like when I would tell them about my work history, they didn't want to talk about it. And I found out, you know, the hard way in, in inside the courtroom during the trial where they completely suppressed all my work records. Mm-hmm. They completely suppressed all my work records, my income tax returns. My un- when I was um, laid off, I was on unemployment. They, they they suppressed my unemployment benefits. And these were the attorneys that were supposed to be defending me. They gave this prosecutor a blank, a blank canvas to paint any picture he wanted to paint of me. Can we also say this, Attorney Matt and Reverend Tia and Dwayne, these people are friends too. They're colleagues and friends. They're friends. They hang out together. They eat together, blah, 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 blah. You know, and even Party though this is your attorney who is representing you, these are their friends, right? And I watched this happen in court, even with Gerard. You know, um, when the attorney was getting aggressive and asking the officer questions, he he got offended. And so they got into an argument and they had to take the whole jury out of the room. And he said, well, why are you acting like that today? So already told that told me that this is your friend and you're going against his script, the script that you guys normally do down here. Right. And so now you're upset because he's putting you on front because you're trying to send somebody innocent to prison. And these are how, you know, that's why we're here because we want to make this so clear. People think, well, they did something anyway. He must have did something anyway. You know, you, nothing. You don't have to do nothing. (laughs) Once they put this in their mind, it's you and nobody else. The killer could be out here killing (laughs) other people. The rapist could be out here raping other people. Doing the same thing that they got you in, in here in this courtroom for, but it don't matter because their only focus is you. Yeah. And, and what happened to those it. people? Right. And what happened to them, Dwayne? Which people? What happened to the to the to those attorneys? Nothing. Absolutely. Nothing. When you when you you right. got out, they now we know how much wrong has happened. And what happens to the people on the front line of of non-integrity? What happens to those people? Absolutely nothing. They have qualified immunity. All they have to do do is put on a show, like like Attorney Mack is saying, you know, of of a semblance of of a fair trial when there's no fairness in the trial at all. You know, I mean, people don't understand. People do not understand. They literally break the law, and and I can't I can't emphasize that enough. They they go to lengths, and they actually they don't just bend it. They don't just twist it a little bit. They break the law knowingly, purposely knowingly break the law to gain convictions on people, and this is what they did to me. They knew they were breaking the law. Every one of them in there with a law degree knew that the laws were being broke. The judge, the two attorneys that they assigned to me, 
and of course the prosecutors and, and, and his, his assistant, you know, they knew they were breaking the law. The judge in my case denied the defense and it's on the docket sheet, it's public, public record. He denied the defense to see the police reports. He denied the, the defense to see the prosecutor's file. How in the world could I get a fair trial? I've never seen that. That is even it's that on, is on the docket sheet. Eight five nineteen eighty eight on the docket sheet. Two three zero eight two eight out of Cuyahoga County. You can pull it up and look at it yourself. And this is the this is the 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 the, the beautiful thing about now, as opposed to the thirty three years that I was screaming into the wind and nobody wanted to believe me, nobody wanted to assist me, nobody wanted to help me. Now I don't have to say one word. Everybody can just anybody can just pull it up themselves and read it themselves. The evidence is there now. This judge denied the defense, the police reports, and denied the defense to review the prosecutor's file. So they were going into it knowing that they wasn't going to give me a fair trial. The judge knew, and it's his duty. He's a referee. He's not supposed to lean towards one side or the other. This is his, his, his job description. He's not supposed to lean towards one side. Or the other. He leaned totally to the to the uh, prosecution. He knew they didn't have no evidence. He right. he knew that if he released the discovery, the, the police reports to my defense, they would have to use it. So he said, no, you can't have it. And this stuff was there from the beginning, from day one in 1980, in August of 1987, from day one. They knew. They knew exactly what they were doing. This is not a mistake. This is not, a, um, you know, something that, you know, something that just happened. This was this was planned. They they, they sat there and they really came to, to, you know, together with their heads and said, this is how we got to do this to this man. And so get to live well, their we, life. Mm-hmm. They get to live their life. When we um hear this, they do this. How many other people have they done it to, right? Before right. you or since you. And then who's going to check them? And see, when we talk about qualified immunity and government immunity, all the same thing. They got, you know, they try to confuse you with all these uh, different immunities. But when we talk about this, um, this is the reason why we should not have it, right? Because there's no one being held accountable for these things. Dwayne, you was 35 years, right? Who Somebody's supposed to be held accountable, right? Somebody's supposed to, you know, have some something. You, How long did it take you to get uh, this um, trial? Um, after we filed the motion, it took a year and a half. A year and a half. It took him less than 90 days to, to uh, take me to trial and convict me and tried to condemn me to death. It took him less than 90 days to do that. But when the evidence came out that I didn't do it, you know, oh, the wheels of justice grind slowly. Other people have, you know, spent four and five years before they got out. This is what they telling me. You got to be patient. This is what they telling me. And I'm sitting there in prison and I'm saying, you got the evidence now that I didn't do it. You see, you can clearly see 
that it was a setup. And why do I have to be patient now? For what reason? My, 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 my father is almost 90 and my mother was almost 80. And they frail. And tomorrow ain't promised to nobody. And you sitting here telling me I got to continue doing time when you know I didn't do it? I think I heard you say on um, on James Jones show, I think that was when you said that they were, uh, or your sister might have said it, they were trying to, you know, saying, you know, when they got the evidence and you, you're trying to get out of there, they're trying to not come because it's the holiday. You know, they didn't think yeah. about you being there 30 three 35 years they trying to figure out how they cannot you know can we put this off to after the holiday after the holidays this was november 4th of last year and they came up with a schedule i mean i should have been released on november 4th of last year at 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 i mean that's not even the best case scenario because if anybody had ever looked into my case and i wrote everybody this is why I have no respect for the NAACP, the ACLU, and all those organizations and all those um, so-called law schools, the Innocence Project. I don't have no, no respect for them because if any one of them had just looked into it and filed a public record request years ago, the evidence was always there. And I would have been home a long time ago. But no. It, I didn't have no DNA in the case. There was no DNA in the case. It wasn't um, a sensational case. It wasn't in the, you know, blown up in the news or the media. Even now, I'm back in New York, and Channel 7 News hasn't come and interviewed me. Channel 5 News, Fox New York, hasn't come and interviewed me. Channel 12 News hasn't come and interviewed me. Channel 4 News hasn't come and interviewed me. And they know about it. Right. But it's not sensational to them. Just another nigga. Right. This is ridiculous that they did this to me and that prosecutor got on the stand, the prosecutor from 1988 got on the stand and admitted, when have you ever seen this before? Ever. Admitted that, yeah, it was our practice to withhold evidence back then. Yeah, the, the, the discovery rules are archaic. I never handed over anything. <laughs> wow. When have you ever seen that? And I, I didn't even I didn't even, you know, realize the magnitude of it. Other guys that were in prison with me fighting, you know, to get out. They, they were saying, Dwayne, man, ain't nobody ever had that in my 35 years or my 30 years or my 32 years. I've never seen this happen. And then a guy explained, it. he said, man, Dwayne, you got the shot heard around the world. You're going to be out of here. They got to let you go. When I was still in there saying, oh, I don't know what they're going to do. You know, they so dirty, you know, he's a man. They got to let you go. When has anybody ever had that? The shot heard around the world. The prosecutor got on the stand and admitted that that, that was their practice to withhold evidence. And he was in the office from 1980 to 1989. And that was the practice when he came in. And it was the practice when they when he left. And nobody, and nobody wants to know about this. I'm sitting here in the media capital. Not only of the United States, of the world. Right. Nobody said and, and that's listen, that's that's the people's fault because we go after sensationalism. The minute we stop giving a rat's behind 
about all this other garbage that they are putting before your eyes and start focusing on what things are going on in your community, within your families and around your families and care about people, people, then it will stop. But after, if we continue to just go after that sensationalism and allow it to be the talk of the town and, you know, people will ask, well, did you hear about so-and-so? No, because I don't know him or I don't know her. She hasn't called me. They aren't out doing what I'm doing. Wake up. Yeah, Attorney Mack, I wanted to ask you about these policies <laughs> of withholding evidence. I mean, have you heard anything like that ever? Well, I mean, the the law has evolved a lot, okay? I mean, and so now the rule of thumb is, is that anything they have in a police report, like police reports that that they get, you're supposed to you're supposed to have that. See, see, let me let me explain some of the nuances here with some of these public defender type like uh, agencies. Um, and it happened even when I was in a public defender's office. Um, it didn't happen with me because I, I I wouldn't do it. Is that the offices become familiar with each other? Okay, um, the the public defender's offices or associations become familiar with the prosecutors. Okay, and they're, they're colleagues. We're colleagues. I mean, the prosecutors are my colleagues in a general sense, just like 40,000 other people are colleagues. And so there's supposed to be a collegial air between colleagues, like doctors mm -hmm. or, or accountants or what have you, in respect. But what happens is when you're dealing with somebody's life, as I've tried to tell so many young lawyers, you don't have a friend in the prosecutor's office. Okay? You don't have a friend. You know, it's it's, and, and I'm not I'm not referring to people as animals, but it, it it's like a snake with a smile. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, a snake with a smile, which is a a, a, a photo enigmic. I'm 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 butchering the word, but it just means the way that the time, the uh, the anatomy of the face is. Okay, you know the anatomy of the face is. Okay, so what I'm saying is is that the problem that young attorneys have is that they want to and, and by the way you can be a young attorney with having one year of experience and you can also be a young attorney with having one year of experience repeated 25 times <laughs> okay so so I, I, I want everybody to understand that don't be fooled by the years that an attorney says he or she has been in practice what have you done in those years? What have you progressed? What have you learned? Or have you been a cookie cutter? Okay, that, that that's it. So, and, and the problem was, the officers would get so familiar, would say, "Well, hey, uh, uh, Joe, this is this is Lou. You know, uh, sit over that police report, okay?" And there's no order. See, there, there there's no order. The court speaks through its orders, okay? And unless something has been ordered by the courts or somebody do something, they have no responsibility to do it. Now, you know, ethically and legally, the prosecutors are supposed to turn over information, but you've got to request that. You And which is why I tell young attorneys, don't cut corners with somebody's life. File your discovery motions and your discovery orders and put deadlines on them, okay? So, so now, so part of the problem is also is that you, you don't really know what the prosecutor has, okay? The prosecutor can get information that is exculpatory, Okay, in other words, help that helps you and just sit on it. You have no way of knowing that. 
That's why I tell young attorneys all the time, don't be afraid to cross-examine those officers get on the witness stand. Did you file a police report in this matter? Uh, yes, I did. Well, did you file a supplemental? Yes, I did. Oh, really? I don't have a copy of it. You see what I'm saying? So that's the only way you've got to keep digging and digging and digging and be an irritant where they know, you know what? When Attorney Mack puts in for discovery and Judge Smith has signed it, we better damn sure give that man that because he's going to grill our officers on the witness stand about it. And if he catches them in a lie, it's going to be perjury. It's going to be a mistrial. It's going to be don't bring this trial again against my client because of police corruption. So, yeah, 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 J-Love, it's a lot of, of policies that are unwritten, but it is unwritten because of familiarity. And I remember reading somewhere that familiarity breeds contempt. And when you have contempt for yourself and your clients, a criminal defense attorney, you might as well be sitting over in the prosecutor's table because, you know, y'all is y'all is cool, cool like that. Right. Yeah. And what people don't understand is like, um, and, and Mr. Mack, he didn't, he didn't explain it fully. So I'm going to, I'm going to uh, expound on it. The United States Supreme Court in 1963, Brady versus Maryland, and then there's been many cases coming out of the United States Supreme Court since then. They said that any exculpatory evidence, any evidence favorable to the defendant, whether the, the attorney asked for it or not, whether he files for discovery or not, the prosecutors must hand it over. He don't have a choice by law. So in 1988, the Brady versus Maryland case from the United States Supreme Court had been the law of the land for 25 years. There's no way that they didn't know. No way. They knew what they were doing. They purposely broke the law. People need to understand that. They purposely break the law to get to gain these convictions, to say that you broke the law. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with the with the protection that police unions have for their for their employees and i preached on this so many times not all unions are good okay and not all unions are good okay so um with the police unions um with dark money that comes in to defend police officers uh and individuals that that are rarely charged with with committing crimes with the public feeling of if somebody breaks in my house, I'm going to call the police, not uh, Tyrone down on the corner. So therefore, um, I've got to be in league with them because I will need them. With the public mantra of basically, if you doing out there, you're in the wrong neighborhood, whatever it is, you know you did it. I know you did it. So let's just go through this formality of a trial. And uh, because I, I, I tell young attorneys all the time. Unless you've got a dedicated jury and a judge that's willing to say, even if this is my last trial, I'm going to stand on integrity. Even if they even if they vote me out, I'm going to stand on integrity. Unless you have something like that, you know, a lot of trials are just a slow finding of guilty. You know, so it, it all depends. Do you want to see the trailer to the movie or do you want to see the whole movie? The results are going to be the same in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Rabbitia. Yeah, I just, you know, it, it is amazing that, 
we are still today having to go over just what's right and what's wrong. And um, and again, when it comes to qualified immunity, that is why we have to push getting rid of it um, because of these scenarios and that they continue um, because they are people are ruling not objectively, they are ruling subjectively and it's subjective to their own perspective, their own view, their own biases. And that's how they, they make the rulings. And, and even when you have people who are, um, who are the, in the jury, you know, too, they're using their, yeah, they have their biases too. And, and so I, you know, I need us to understand, you know, how much how much has happened in our society and that it is time for village, I call them village keepers. When you are doing things that are proactive and these interventions within our communities to help protect our communities, to educate our communities, to make sure that they don't go, have to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And that we get these people out of the, their positions, you know, and, you know, when the Supreme Court made the ruling, wasn't enough of an outroar. You didn't have, I didn't see NAACP trying to do anything about that when they made the change um, from the Supreme Court in regards to um, wrongful convictions. Because what they're saying is, I need people to understand, they don't care if you're wrongfully convicted. They don't care. That's what that said. They don't care. And Clarence Thomas was the leader of that statement who said, basically, that's what that says. We don't care if we have the right person or not. You can yes. still be executed. Yeah. You can still serve your time. Right. We don't care whether the rapist is still out there. We don't care. That's what that means. And this is in the and for, for us not to do anything is just terrible. Go ahead, Dwayne. And this is in, in the so-called greatest country in, in the world. This is in the in the so-called most civilized country in the world. This is what they portray. And, th and these are the barbaric practices that are going on in this country. In the greatest country in the world, the most civilized country in the world. Barbaric what they do to people. It's barbaric what they did to me and my family. And let me, let me add this. I remember last week or so, I heard somebody make an analogy between crows and bluebirds. That was you, <laughs> that was you, uh, attorney Matt. <laughs> and let me just be the way I am. Boogaloo and all. You have a person now that's running for president as a Republican, a black man from South Carolina. That man's name is Tim Scott. Okay. And when I say black, unquestionably black, we're not talking about uh, a Creole. We're not talking about a mulatto. We're not talking about Plessy versus Ferguson, where one eighth being black, put your behind to the back of the car, by the way, one-eighth black, one-eighth black, damn, put you, put you to the back of the car, you know, I mean, one-eighth, well, okay, well then, can I, can I, 
can, can I put my leg to the back of the car and the rest of me can stress out, you know, to the front, you know, to, to the front seat or something like that. So the, the one eighth of me that's black, okay, that's back there, but there's seven, eight whites and he couldn't get to the front. <laughs> so, but anyway, anyway, Tim Scott was supposedly the poster boy for the Republicans on the Police Reform Act, if y'all remember. He was mm -hmm. the one that Mitch McConnell said, Tim Scott is our man. Now, remember now, it's only three blacks in the Senate. Only three. Tim Scott, South Carolina. Uh, 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 Cory Booker and Warnock. from New Jersey. And uh, Reverend Warnock from Georgia. Am I right? Okay. Yeah. Now, it's only one black senator, and that's, and that's uh, Tim Scott. Okay. Now, he says the need for affirmative action, all that, and time has gone by because all that is doing is putting black people up, you know, as like showboats and figureheads. You know, when I hear this man saying that, I remember Clarence Thomas, the, the main proponent of anti-affirmative action, and he doesn't realize his blacker than a mailbox behind got in there because of affirmative action. Right. It, 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 he replaced a black man, the only black on, his, on, on, on the court at the time, by the name of Thurgood Marshall. So you mean to tell me with all those hundreds, hundreds of duly qualified white judges, okay, white judges, okay, that George, uh, um, that, um, George Bush the first, I believe it was, had to pick from, he picked Clarence Thomas. And for Clarence Thomas to say race didn't have anything to do with it is just a lie. It's a simple lie. But anyway, I say that to say this. Tim Scott, anti-affirmative action. Tim Scott has got a commercial now announcing, you know, he's running for president at, at from Fort Sumter. Does the name Fort Sumter mean anything to any of y'all? Fort Sumter, Fort Sumter, all right? Proudly stood where the Confederacy made it stand at first and talked about, we are a great nation and, you know, we, America has been through greatness and continues greatness. The man stood there and said that. I like to kick my flat screen in. You understand? I like to kick it in. The man got on debating with Roland Martin and said, you know, uh, uh, excuse me, the uh, a, a, a congressman from Florida, I can't remember what his name is, got to debate with Roland Martin, said, I'm, I don't believe in a George Floyd uh, act because it's hurting our police departments. Uh, it, it, it's it's going to let people that are shiftless and lazy drag our police officers into, in, into court. I do not believe in the John Lewis act because Florida's got plenty of laws to protect people already, and we don't need no more laws in this country. I like to kick my flat screen TV in. So the only reason I'm bringing this up is they are using people that look like us to be the poster boy and girls for putting this these things forward. And I'm saying that is what's so devastating because not only do we have to overcome systemic racism, we've got to overcome the house Negroism. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, you know, um, and, and so I guess I'm venting and ask y'all to kind of bear with me and maybe pray for me, okay, because it's difficult. It is. You know, I need to go out and run about 10 miles after I get off this show. It's difficult because it's stressful and it's very infuriating. So, so yeah. So for Tim Scott, you're not going to be president, Tim. All you're going to do is carry a good message for those 
for, for a lot of the white races and, you know, and people who don't want black people to have an advantage. And at the end of the day, you're going to learn a lesson like a woman named Amarosa. Remember Amarosa? Remember Amarosa? Okay. Remember, remember out, out there with, 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 with Donald Trump, Donald Trump and all that stuff. The man that ended up calling her a bitch. Remember that? Remember that? Okay. And now she wrote a book talking about how, how bad Donald Trump is. Tim Scott, you next in line. Yeah. And that black, that black thing with, with the, um, the house nigger uh, syndrome is really bad. I mean, you know, even even in prison, you know, it's I mean, it's, it's it's sad to say, and and it, and it's almost unbelievable. But it's the black ones that treat you the worst. Exactly right. Exactly. The black guards, the black uh, uh, case managers, the black uh, uh, unit managers, deputy wardens. Uh, um, chief unit, unit, unit managers, you know, they treat you the worst. Don't forget the inmates, oh brother. Don't forget the inmates that have been programmed into doing other people's bid for them, thinking oh. they, they're going to make themselves, well, you know, I don't know about your experience. I can talk about mine. Thinking no, no, it's, 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 it's universal. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Thinking they, thinking, they are some of the disillusioned people in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you did y'all see the movie about about Harriet Tubman? Um, Harriet, Har you know, Harriet. OK, mm -hmm. you remember the Uncle Tom that was with the white man hunting down black folk. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. OK, he would be the first to want to shoot and maim a black person. But you see what happened to him, don't you? His ass got shot in the head. Why? Because he stepped out of line. The white man told him, don't be trying to do that to that particular nigga. Don't do it. He thought he was equal. He thought he had some kind of autonomy, do what he wanted to do. White man said, nigga, this is your reward for not listening to me. So and I, I, excuse me, I, I hate to be graphic. I'm sorry. So so what I'm saying is, is that that is exactly what's going on with the penitentiary with me. Look, you know, look, look, I was almost killed four or five different times in the penitentiary, you know, uh, could easily have been had not been for the grace of God. And it wasn't a white boy. It wasn't yeah. the white boy. It wasn't the neo-Nazis. It wasn't the the whatever the skinhead groups. They pretty much kept to themselves. Okay, they kept to themselves as long as we didn't mess with them. So it it it, it was it was the blacks. The Listen. black influenced by those white guards want to curry favor with them, almost like a almost like an attack dog kind of kind of. Listen, thing. listen. They are so on this stuff that they do their best they do they would do anything to make it seem like to the white people that I'm not like the rest of these niggas and then listen you know it's 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 so crazy that when white people treat them finally treat them like they're niggas they are hurt <laughs> hopefully they are hurt to their soul <laughs> cry they cry tears i can't believe they did this to me all the work i did for them everything i did for them they do this to me they i'm they are seriously hurt because they get to the point where they're so disillusioned they don't realize that in their eyes like tiger woods you're a nigga <laughs> Yo, oh oh absolutely 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 it's crazy we buy into our own demise. We are oftentimes our own worst enemy. Yeah. We yeah. we worry about what other people are doing to us, but we do so many things to ourselves, our own selves. 
and, no, I, I was, um, I know you mentioned about the NAACP and I saw Deidre uh, mention them. I even contacted them. And I know a lot of people have contacted them. These groups that supposedly are here for us, they're just political groups. They're just political groups. And they're doing politics. And so if it ain't good for the politics, then they're not going to jump on the bandwagon. No or they're not going to help you. Not going to help but if it's, it's If it's good for the politics and hold them in a good light, then they're there. You know, how can they help you when they had a whole leader of a, a lady who, who had tricked all of them and said she was black? And she was white, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're there for the politics so you know we don't you know and i hate to say that because so many people are they get offended but it's the truth these are political organizations mm-hmm. well and so jay love for any white person that gets offended let me reassure them black people love you <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> black people love white people don't get it twisted don't get offended because black people love white people. No matter what they do to us, no matter what's been done to us, we love white people. We as a whole, we love them. So don't, there's no no need to get offended for any white person to get offended. You know, I grew up right here on Long Island, New York, in Uniondale, and my, my town was mostly white. I had white friends still have white from many white friends you know friends that happen to be white that's the way i like to say it because there's exceptions to the rule but those are, are the exceptions you better believe it mm-hmm. you know if if you know i'm gonna just forget about the 80 90 100 200 million white folks that can't stand black folks just because i got i care for these exceptions to the rule and i'm just going to forget about them and just okay well these exceptions to the rule they're going to trample them to kill me because mm-hmm. it ain't enough of them mm-hmm. oh oh absolutely correct look the freedom summer of 1963 remember when all those blacks and whites or, or perhaps 64 all went, went went down to Mississippi. Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Well, them too. For 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 voter registration, a whole a whole bunch of well good-hearted white folks went down there. Yeah. You know, you know, Schwerner, Goodman, Goodman, and Cheney. You know, two out of three of them people butchered were white. Okay, you know, and so um, the thing of it is, is that the problem is, and 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 I saw this with with Black Lives Matter. The problem is is that we have a spark that comes on, you know, a spark, but then it fades because any fire will die if you don't keep feeding it. You see what I'm saying? You see? And so what happened is, and even black folks, we faded, we faded. You know what I'm saying? You know, we got back to, you know, uh, business as usual. Well, it ain't my son. I mean, I'm sorry what happened, but you know, you know, and, 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 and then we, we went back to that, to that as usual. I mean, every time that I run or ride my bike on a particular path, there is still a part of the pavement that's got Black Lives Matter 
in, in big gold letters, okay? Thank goodness that has not been defaced. In parts of Ipsy, Ipsland, it has been defaced. It has been defaced, okay? So it's like, and in and, and the Washington County building, you heard me talk to Trisha about this some show uh, a while back. You know, the county took a sandblaster and blasted that off the, off off, <laughs> off a of county property in the county in the county building that that I pay taxes for, by the way. Okay, you know, because it's enough of that. It, it's okay now. We done had our summer of excitement, y'all. Okay, we done been to the zoo. We've been on safari. Now it's time to get back to business as usual. And unfortunately, particularly with somebody like Tim Scott running, not only is it business as usual, it's business going backwards. And right. what, what, what we have to realize is that we are downtrodden people. We have to realize that and accept it, that we are downtrodden people. Our, our mentality is downtrodden. We have been beat, killed, lamed, burned, lynched. You know, we are downtrodden people. So at some point, even though there's some sparks, like you're saying, uh, 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 Attorney Matt, they all flame out because we are downtrodden people. And we, in our in the back of our minds, in our consciousness, we feel like this is the way it is. This is, you know, this, this is the way it's supposed to be. Right. And then also... Like uh, like Attorney Max said, we just we're downtrodden, like you said, Dwayne. But then we hop on the next thing, hot thing that's popping, and we forget what we've been, you know, standing up for, or fighting for. That it's not important anymore, mm -hmm. you know, because this is important now. You because know? we don't believe we're ever going to get justice anyway. That's why right. we just jump on to the next thing. Yeah. Right, yeah. and then when you look at it, when we're talking about wrongful convictions, you know, we're talking about you, Dwayne, and people you know, who's serving long sentences, but we also talking about people who have misdemeanors. We're also talking about people who took a plea deal. You know what I'm saying? So when they talk about, oh, it's like uh, two to 10%, it's way more because you don't give it to account of people who have taken a plea deal. Yeah. You haven't said, well, I, I did it. I was just listening to a story not too long ago of uh, a young man who, they they pretty much forced him to say he did a crime and he had to implicate his friend in the crime, right? His friend never, you know, took the plea and he ended up being exonerated. But the young man who, you know, said yes and took the plea deal, they're trying to get him because they know he didn't do it. So now they're trying to get him, you know, clemency, you know. But however, you know, these things happen. A plea all deal, the time. Um, <laughs> all the time. Fake tickets that ain't real. Uh, fake charges that they, you know, they stack them, stack them, stack them, stack them, stack them. Attorney Matt, don't they stack them? Yeah, and, they and please, and please, don't forget one of the greatest tools the Michigan legislature and other states, I'm sure, too, have given prosecutors. It's called the habitual offender statute, okay? Uh, which is a, t a, a terrifying thing, a terrifying thing. Because what it says is, now look, the law says, okay, maybe five to 15 now, if we pop you for this, uh, for this B&E, okay, whatever, maybe five to or whatever. 
But now we see you done had some run-ins with the law before now. Matter of fact, two or three run-ins. Oh, 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 that changes things. Yeah, that changes things. The wise souls in Lansing, Michigan has said, prosecutor, now, if this man or woman been down this road before, go on sock it to him. Sock it to him. So if you don't plea to this right now, we see you got two times you've been in the system before. Hmm, that puts you habitual offender second. Well, that means if you convicted, now we're not just looking at maybe a 15-year max. Now we're looking at a 30-year max. It's going to enhance it. Yeah, yeah. You got to go back and do that tale. Yeah, 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 you know, you, you know, yeah, see, see, see. Yeah, yeah, well, 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 the habitual the, the extends the tale. It extends the tale. And plus, if you get out on parole and you mess up, they're going to bring you back for the rest of that sentence, unless you can shuck and jive with them and say, uh, you, you remember you remember the movie uh, uh, with Morgan Freeman and, uh, and uh, uh, Tim Robbins, uh, um, Shawshank Redemption, Shawshank Redemption, okay? <laughs> there was a scene in there where Morgan Freeman, he, he went to the parole board at first, and they said, do you think you've changed? Oh yes, I'm. I'm not the same person I was. I was a young man that you know did wrong, and I've really learned a lot. And the stamp was parole denied. The second time he went up in there, he said, "You know what? I've been here so damn long. You know, maybe all this want me to die up in here. So I'm just gonna be for real with you. You know, I, I've served my time and more. You know, I got myself together." But you know what? If you're going to keep me back in here, just go on and do a good waste in my damn time. Parole granted. So and I'm, I'm not I'm not telling people to to do that, per se. But I'm saying it gets to the point where you and unfortunately, a lot of times don't happen until you get up in the system. Don't fully realize the mojo that's been run on you. This brother here said he didn't even realize. So he might have sensed it, you know, in his heart. He didn't realize the full extent of the mojo was run, run on him. I understand fully what he's saying. And and that, you know, that thing what you just saying about the parole board, man, listen, um, I had family members, people that loved me, that were really resenting me, really angry at me, because I wouldn't go in there and say I did it. Because that they felt like that was the only way I was gonna make it out of prison. You know, and I felt like that for a minute too. Like, you know, hey, you know, this this only way I'm, I got a chance of making it out of here. You know, because times was dark. I mean, it's so many dark, dark, dark days and nights. You know, where I didn't know what to hope for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, people have told me, you know, you know, I, I don't, I didn't understand why you just didn't go in there and say that you did it, so they could let you out of there. This is the pressure that was being put on me each and every time I went before the parole board from the people that love me because their their hope was gone that I was going to ever be exonerated, that I was ever going to be free in, 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 in the fashion that I got freed in. You know, they wanted me to go in there and lie on myself just for the chance that they would let me go. And, you know, so... Yeah, as the words you use, the nuances that that you know they put on people, 
man, this I'm telling you, I don't even I don't even know the correct word for it, but barbaric is for lack of a better word, the system is barbaric. Yeah. And what they do to people is criminal, you know, it's 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 diabolical and every other kind of you know terrible word you could come up with. It's terrible it's the way inhumane. they do people. Yeah, terrible. it's very inhumane. And we can't say we're the best and we treat people inhumane like this every yeah. day. And yeah. we and, and 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 we say that's justice. Mm-hmm. How is that justice? You had your day in court. Right. <laughs> yes, Dwayne. So, um, Dwayne, I'm going to start with Reverend Tia. I'm in with you, Dwayne. Reverend Tia, what would you like to leave us with? Dwayne, I just want to say thank you for your fortitude. and uh, And I'm knowing that your purpose is passionately going to be expansive for the rest of your days. I believe that what happened to you will end up blessing so many people and will help to turn things around. Because the more we continue to shine the light on the hidden areas of injustice, then the more solutions we can have. And I believe that we are, even though we have a lot of people who are ignorant of what is actually happening, we do have a lot of people who are beginning to understand and to connect. And um, and I'm, I'm glad that you decided to keep going and to try again and that you held on to your innocence and did not let go. And I'm, I just, Pray for all of those who are out here that you continue to, to do that. Hold on to your truth. Let go of all the narratives and don't believe, don't believe that people like Mr. Brooks has, has said that they've already had their day in court because they really did not. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Taylor. Tony Matt. You know, my scripture teaches me of a woman named Hadassah, okay? But her people were conquered, all right? Conquered, and she had to change her name. She changed her name to Esther. They call her Esther, okay? And a pretty woman too, pretty young thing, PYT, before Michael Jackson ever said it, okay? So, So the thing of it is, is this. She had an uncle named Mordecai. All right. Now, these people were Jews. They were Jews. Okay. And what happened was they became a persecuted people. And it got to the point where there was a guy named Haman that had a grudge against the Jews and wanted all of them killed. All right. But Esther was the queen. But the law said you cannot go in front of the king unless you got permission. The penalty is death. They were getting ready to kill all them Jews. And Mordecai told his niece, perhaps you were born for a time such as this. And she got to the point and said, you know what? I'm going to speak up for my people. I'm going to speak up for what's right. I'm not going to wait for the king to call me. I'm going to go to the king and confront him right now. And she said, if I die, then let me die in righteousness. 
my own penitentiary experience where I came back from regaining the, the privilege of practicing law in the state of Michigan. Michigan's been a state since 1836. That's like 30 some years before the Civil War. So the regaining of the license was God showing me that he can do anything but fail. And God has brought me back, spared my life in the penitentiary for a reason, for a time such as this. I ran for Washtenaw County prosecutor despite the ridicule, the humiliation, jailbird, convict. How dare you run for prosecutor for a time such as this? And what I'm saying is, is this. Each and every one of you are here for a time such as this. God did not spare this man's life for nothing. All right. He didn't spare, you know, uh, my life for nothing. Jay Love, he didn't put in your spirit, your heart to honor your son who is watching us from on high right now, I might add, you know, for nothing. Reverend Tia, all you've been through, all the work you do, preaching, you know, and, and help people. You are all here for a time such as this. And I'm going to tell you this. The only thing that can stop us is if we stop ourselves because we're going to keep talking the truth. We're going to keep speaking truth to power. We're going to keep standing up for what's right. We're going to keep on being an irritant. And I'm telling you, scripture told me about a woman that wanted something from the king. The king saying, no, nah, get away, get away, get away from me. The woman kept coming back. He said, you know what? I'm going to give this woman she wants because she's bugging the hell out of me. And what I'm saying is, is this, we will keep fighting this fight until there is no fight left in us. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. that's my commitment to it. So I say, God bless you. I love you. Every time I come on this show, I'm energized. I'm energized, you know, and I need y'all. So keep me in prayer because I pray for you. Because like my late mother would tell me, it ain't over, son, until you win. Thank you, Reverend Dr. <laughs> Attorney Mac. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Dwayne. What would you like to leave us with? Um, I'm going to expound upon what Attorney Max said. We we can't stop. We can't we can't quit. You know, it's been. I mean, people can use me as an example. People can use me as inspiration because I know as many people out there suffering, going through whatever they're going through. You know, it's 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 a fact that. If we're black in this country, we're going to suffer in some shape, form or fashion. And I want people to know that, you know, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how dark it gets, you got to try to see that sunshine the next day. You got to keep going. You can't give up because if you give up and, and, and your journey ends, you never really know what was in store for you. I was a dead man walking. Everybody knew it. Everybody, you know, it was it was common knowledge. He's never getting out. They told the kids in my family, oh, your uncle, he's never getting out. Your daddy, he's never getting out. You know, I was a dead man walking. And people can take this. I'm telling you, like, I had the darkest times. Only by the grace of Allah, by the grace of the creator. I didn't lose my mind. I didn't give up. You know. My faith carried me, you know, even when I lost hope. I said, man, I'm not going to never make it out of here. I couldn't see a way out. I tried everything. I wrote everybody. I screamed. I hollered. I didn't do it. 
And at my darkest moment, when I said, well, if this is what Allah got in store for me, I got to accept it. I got to accept the, the decree of Allah, the, the decree of God, as we say in English. And, you know, I called home and I told my mother, I said, y'all got to let me go. I said, y'all got to let me go because I can't get too old in here. And these young boys looking at me like, yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to take school stuff. I'm going to defend myself. I might as well start now because I'm not going to make it out of here. When I got to that point right there, two days later, my mother cried on that phone. She said, I can't let go. She said, I can't let go. She made a sound I never heard before. Came from deep. She said, I can't let go. Two days later, that attorney said, Dwayne, we found your transcripts. I'm going to read them. My transcripts had been missing for almost 15 years at that point. Out of the pro out, out of the clerk of court's office, you know, they didn't want nobody to see those transcripts. They found them two days after my lowest point. And, and, and four or five days after that, we got the police reports. So this is seven, eight, nine, ten days after my lowest point. Hmm. And every scripture, whether it's, you know, the Quran, the Torah, the Bible, our creator tells us that he's not going to put nothing on you that you can't bear. He's not going to burn a, a, a soul beyond his scope. And when I got to that point, my lowest point, you know, some people say, man, you, you was too goddamn strong. You should have you should have got to your lowest point years ago and, 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 and God would have, you know, got you out of there. You was too strong. I, I don't I don't know what that is. I mean, all I was doing was doing what I was supposed to do. And when I got to that point, everything changed. So people got to take that. And I mean, this is real. People got to take that as, you know, inspiration for themselves, no matter what they're going through. Wake up the next morning. Strive for that. And see what that day brings. Because this stuff changed for me in a matter of days. In a matter of days, I went from a dead man walking to being free. I'm out here now. And possibly, y'all know the rest, <laughs> for whatever time I got left. And, 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 and they can't pay me to make me feel like we even or it's okay. Because I'd rather be 21 again and have all my people that I lost in those 35 years still alive again. Mm -hmm. You know, so... I'm not looking at it like, yeah, you know, I'm all, I'm going to be all the way up. I got to do something with that. I got to help people. I got to take care of my family and I got to help people. I don't need much. I don't got nothing now, you know, but I got life. I got opportunity. I still got family members that, you know, are still here that I love and they love me. I got friends and, and you know, relatives that love me. And this is all I've been I've been searching for, for for the whole time was the love. Because, you know, it ain't about the money, it's about the honey. And people need to realize that. It's not about the money, it's about the honey. And the honey are the people that you hold dearest to you. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm a Muslim and we don't believe in, 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 in holidays. Every day is Mother's Day. 
every day is Father's Day. You got you got you got to celebrate your people every day. Mm-hmm. You got these people telling you, "Oh, just celebrate your mother one day out the year." <laughs> get her some candy and some, you know, a card, and you know, maybe give her some money one day out the year. No, you're supposed to celebrate your mother every day. Celebrate your wife every day. Celebrate your brother, your sister, and whoever else you love every day, much as you can. And don't worry about the money. The money you can't take that with you. When we leave here, we got we got we got some other places to go. We determining right now where we're gonna go in that next life by what we do in this life. Mm-hmm. And we can't take none of that money with us. The pharaohs mm-hmm. and, and, and kings of, of, of Egypt and, 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 and Africa and everywhere else, they tried to take their gold and all their money with them. It didn't it didn't help them. So people got to celebrate their people, anybody they love, anybody they care about, they got to cherish them and love them and, 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 and let them know. Give them their flowers now. Don't 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 wait till they, you know, in the ground to go put flowers on their grave and you ain't gave them no flowers while they was alive. You at their funeral screaming and hollering and crying because that's your guilt because you know damn well you didn't you didn't treat them right. People are precious. People are the most precious asset in the world. People got to know that. Yes. You can't keep, oh, I'm just going to get my son and, and, and we're going to go over here and we're going to, you know, we're going to break off from the family. We gonna... That's that's ludicrous. That's not how it's done. A village, you know, that, that's, that old proverb is true. We're not meant to be alone. We are not meant to be put in prison and denied, you know, the 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 your your nature to be intimate with a woman, to to have children, to be able to eat vegetables and fruit. These are natural things that we 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 have a right to. That ain't that stuff ain't that this stuff is this stuff is barbaric, and that's the only word I could think of to to describe it. And we have to start cherishing people. The people are the most precious asset in the world. Yeah. Thank you, Dwayne. So that <laughs> I don't even know what to say because you hit on so many points. But thank you. Dwayne will be back next week, you guys, probably every week. Um, thank you. Um, let's do a little housekeeping for those here in Michigan, June the 16th, that's next Friday at 530. They're having a town hall meeting for a second look legislation. Um, all the information is there on, on the flyer. It's at Mac alive, 3746 Fisher. Um, make sure if you're interested in supporting second look, make sure you're there. Also, we are supporting the final push project clemency for Susan Brown, our sister who has, um, who is an awesome sister. Um, we are supporting her clemency. So, you know, this is the link, um, link tree clemency for, uh, Susan Brown. Go there. You can find out more about her story. Um, and you can also how you can support Susan Brown. Also, 
donate to the Voice of Detroit. Uh, the Voice of Detroit is Miss Diane, who's also has been um, here in Michigan for over 20, 30 years, putting information out, talking about these wrongful convictions. Um, we support her and her um, paper, her online paper needs support. So please support Miss Diane by going to www.voiceofdetroit.net. Also, we want to send love to Trisha. She's been down weather-wise. Um, she's supposed to be well, uh, resting. She has an event coming up. Um, and so I don't see the flyer. We had a flyer for her event. But she has a June, um, Juneteenth um, event coming up. I will post that information on the just. Oh, here it is. Here it is right here. Juneteenth celebration. Uh, it's Lanny. Um, June 16th, 17th, and 18th. Please su support this. Um, Trisha and Survivors Speaking, all these other organizations, they have came together and they're going to have a big uh, Juneteenth uh, um, celebration. And last, but certainly not least, the love gathering, where we come, we're coming together to have a love experiences. Um, a day of community unity, and that's at Handy Park in Redford, Michigan. And join us, it's going to be a really special healing day. And I think that's it for us. Thank you guys. Be the change, be the change. See you next Friday, 6 p.m., here on Turning a Moment into a Movement. <laughs>